my guest for the day, became a teen mom at 17 and still worked tirelessly to receive a master's degree in social work. Now, she has worked her way up to become the housing director for the YWCA, working to get rid of homelessness and generational poverty here in Madison. I'm Ben Brown, and this is the Madisonian Podcast. I saw my guest for the day on Madison 365's list of the 51 most influential black leaders in Wisconsin. I read more and more on her and looked into her recent campaign for city council here in Madison. Her work with YWCA trying to eradicate generational poverty and homelessness is so beyond admirable and her ideas that she'll bring to city council are extremely intelligent. Give us a five-star rating or leave us a review. It really helps. And please enjoy my interview with Miss J.L. Curry. My name is J.L. Curry. Um, I am a social service professional and currently work at the YWCA um, in downtown Madison as the housing director. Um, I was born and raised in Madison, right here. Um, I've lived on the east side my entire um, life living in Madison. I was gone to Whitewater um, when I was a student for two years and then returned um, for grad school. So. Um, I am the baby in my family. I'm the youngest of two children. I have an older brother um, who lives in Arizona and uh, grew up in a two-parent household. Um, my parents, we were pretty much blue-collar, um, almost middle-class family. My mom is a nurse, and she's been one for nearly four decades um, has worked in hospitals. She started as a labor and delivery nurse and now is doing travel nursing throughout the United States. Um, my father has kind of been a jack of all trades. When I was young, he worked at Web Crafters, um, so manufacturing books, uh, specifically textbooks and, and some of those larger index bindery books. Um, and has dabbled in all types of uh, entrepreneurial um, endeavors since then. One thing that I have been sharing with folks throughout all my interviews and, and conversations is uh, my house was, I grew up in a pro-union home. Um, so my mother was actually a part of the SEIU Nurses Union um, during my childhood. My father, due to some of the constraints from his uh, employer, could not officially be part of a union, but always encouraged, um, you know, safe practices, uh, fair wages, um, access at equ equitable access to trades. Um, but education was a really, really uh, strongly emphasized and highlighted um, issue in my family. My father is actually, I'm a, a daughter of an immigrant. My father is from Jamaica originally and, and came over here with his family when he was about your age. Um, so in high school, and my parents actually met at UW-Madison when they were um, students, and that's kind of the start of their love story, and then um, obviously getting married and having myself and brother later on. 
Um, as far as school for me, I, I'm an East Sider again. So I went to Kennedy Elementary, Whitehorse Middle School, and then graduated from La Follette. Um, so right now, I pretty much am in a district that I didn't grow up in District 16. I grew up in neighboring District 3, um, but have forever been on the far east side. Um, let's see, what else? One thing that I've also been sharing is um, when I was in high school, I took a youth apprenticeship program in uh, it was a nursing field. And so when I was 16, I took a test and became certified a certified nursing assistant. And I actually um, worked through that job throughout college um, and kind of paved the way into my social service career as well. So what was the middle school, high school experience for you? What kind of student were you? What kind of kid were you? Yeah, well, again, because I shared education was emphasized and, and um, really strict. You know, I, I kid with my parents, me and my brother went to city spelling bee meets, I think in our middle school years. Um, one of our tasks when we got home from school every day was to open up the encyclopedia or dictionary and learn five words, five new words, how to spell them and what their um, meaning was and to use them in a sentence kind of during our family dinner or any times that we'd have time to connect. Um, middle school, you know, it, it, middle school is hard, especially when um, my mom is from Chicago and so a model in uh, like Milwaukee and, and Chicago is they have K through eight schools, whereas, you know, we have K five and then the three years of middle school. Um, it was challenging, I think, kind of growing more into who I was as a kid, my personality, who my friend groups and peer groups would be. Um, an interesting thing about myself is that I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Um, my family went to the Kingdom Hall. And so that was an added dynamic or layer that made it kind of challenging for school because um, Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate holidays. So, you know, when birthdays were happening in the classroom, I remember going to the principal's office or the, the school secretary and staying up there. Um, it, I started to become rebellious, um, kind of challenging some of those thoughts that, especially the religion. Um, since being a young girl, um, if things don't make sense to me, I really try to, okay, make it make sense and I'll ask questions. And so some of the things my parents were teaching me um, or you know, some of the things within our organizational, uh, religious organization I didn't agree with and it caused rebellion in my household. I think just kind of carried into high school years. And um, even though I was a very good student, strong, um, school came, pretty easy to me as long as I put forth an effort. Um, I usually had passing grades, you know, sometimes on the honor roll, sometimes not. Um, I was also an athlete, but uh, trying to kind of find my way, I found myself rebelling a little bit, um, going against what I knew my parents um, had trained me to, to do as a child. And um, you know, it, it kind of paved the way for me to becoming a teen mom. Um, so I became pregnant at 16 with my son, um, ended up having him when I was 17. So my last year of high school. So how did your life change when that when that happened? <laughs> and when, when you had your first kid? Um, well, you know, it changed a lot. Uh, back then, I, I wasn't I didn't process it, process it in the way that I have now as an adult and becoming a parent myself and now a parent of teens. Um, 
it, it changed responsibility. You know, I still lived at home with my parents, so that was a blessing. And um, to have their support, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do the things that I did or graduate high school or achieve some of the things. Um, but yeah, I had a, a little person that relied on me and where a lot of folks my age were concerned about going to varsity football games and basketball games and homecoming. I had a little one to provide for. Um, and I was also getting ready to graduate high school. So it was kind of, what do I do next? Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I was an athlete. I played um, tennis my first two years. Yes, first two years of high school um, and had a pretty natural talent at it. So my parents put me in um, some camps and stuff to grow my skills. And eventually I was playing tennis year round and it actually ended up tearing my ACL in my junior year. Um, so I wasn't able to finish, but I had dreams of going off to school and playing on the East Coast, maybe going to Norfolk State. Howard University has been a dream institution of mine to attend um, my whole life. But you know, now with the little little one, um, I had even debated going to the Army and enlisting as a nurse. And so um, it really changed the trajectory of what I was gonna do with my career. So I ended up staying in Madison. Um, you know, whether or not I was gonna go to school was not really a question because again, in my household, education was very important. Um, so How I, did you achieve that with the little person that you're, you're looking after at the, at the same time? How did you yeah. make that happen and, and, and seek out that higher education? So um, definitely familial support, being at home with my parents. Um, my brother had graduated and was in college and, and gone by that time, but you know, my mom provided childcare when I was at school for my for my baby. Um, I didn't really have to worry about paying rent or additional bills. Um, I mean, additional bills of taking care of a kid, but I didn't have to worry about our living expenses. Um, I had a lot of support at school too. Um, a shout out to Michelle Olson, who is still a school counselor over at La Follette High School. Um, she and some other adults just really saw my potential as a, as a strong student. And, um, you know, even that I had a small child with me, they still saw the resilience in me and encouraged me to finish high school strong. Um, that's kind of where that youth apprenticeship program came up. I was able to earn college credits at the same time, taking classes at MATC or Madison College now. Um, yeah, it, it really was uh, adults in my life who either knew me as a young girl or had seen my resilience and capacity as a teenager and really kind of encouraged me to keep pursuing my dreams despite um, becoming a mother unexpectedly. Yeah, so tell me about that that nurse's apprenticeship program and, and you kind of started taking after your, your mother a little bit there. Yeah. Um, what was that decision to to join that apprenticeship? That <laughs> you know, experience? it's funny. Um, back then, I didn't know what was good for me, but I thought I did. And, and I had a lot of pushback. Um, I think part of my rebellion was at some point, I don't know if you have, uh, this has popped up for you, but it's like you want to be so much opposite of your parents or you want to be better than them, even though you, you respect and admire. That's kind of always the goal. And so... Um, my mom has been a nurturer her whole life. I guess I think I saw the sacrifices that she had to make of when she was working third shift and 
you know, waking up in the morning and my mom wasn't up. She was sleeping, recovering from working overnight. Um, I think part of it was rebellion of you're my mom and I don't want to be or look anything like you, but also I see that um, your job is really hard and it takes a lot out of you. And I don't think I want that for myself. So when the, uh, the opportunity of the apprenticeship program came up, um, I was interested because I didn't want to be at, at school, high school full time. And that was kind of part of the caveat. I had enough credits to graduate early, um, but to still stay doing something um, educational. So I didn't kind of lose that. Um, so I was like, yeah, you know, I only have to go to the file at once or twice a week, bet <laughs> I'm there. I jumped into the program. Um, it, I won't say I didn't enjoy it, but again, I didn't necessarily think that that was my career pathway. I thought it was my mom's. Um, so I finished it successfully. Uh, my parents pushed a lot and encouraged me. Um, I wanted to drop out several times, but um, again, I finished it, uh, I think got six college credits that was able to transfer when I started at UW. Um, and then also had my certified certified nursing assistance um, license. So I was able to work. Um, I got hired at the age of 17 at Attic Angel um, Retirement Nursing Home. It's a retirement community now. But yeah, so. Yeah. So what did you want to do after getting this, you know, nurse assistant license? What were you going to take that to the next level? Or were you like, I want to drop it and, and, and go to something else. Yeah. What was your feeling of, of, of what was next? For sure. You? Well, like most um, college students just starting out, I changed my mind a lot of times and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like I said, um, I had some of the goals and, and didn't plan on being in Madison, but now that I was a mother, um, plans changed. So um, I think I've always known and I, it didn't take me it took me a while to identify that the personality I have is I'll always be in a helping profession. I didn't see nursing being that profession that I wanted to do career wise. But um, when I first started um, high school or college, um, recovering from my ACL injury, it was a very gruesome process and took years. And it sparked my interest in um, the field of athletic training. I worked with one of our trainers at the high school on some of my rehabilitation. I went to physical therapy, and that's what I really thought I wanted to do when I graduated high school. Um, luckily, the apprenticeship program helped me earn some credits that were transferable for a nursing program, um, also for physical therapy. So I, de I declared my pre-major in freshman year as kinesiology, which is exercise uh, science. Basically, it was a, a pathway into becoming a physical therapist. And um, I also took some classes that would provide some coaching along athletic training. Um, <clears throat> and so I started there and, you know, I, I didn't do well at all my freshman year. I My first semester, I think I got a 1.8 GPA. It was really bad. Um, balancing being a new mom, balancing wanting to do what normal 18-year-olds were doing in college, still living at home and not really having the overall university um, experience. I, I didn't focus on school like I should have. Um, that also kind of 
I don't want to say it boxed me in, but thinking about a graduation plan and working with an advisor when I didn't get those grades, um, nursing and kind of those science programs, you have to take the math to get to the science, to get to the health services. And I was a poor math student. Um, so working with my advisor, I kind of looked at, hey, all right, if I don't want to be a physical therapist, I think also when I graduated in 2005, they had changed the professional standards for physical therapy. And in order to be called a physical therapist, you'd have to get your doctorate. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be in school that long. Um, so I went from kinesiology, exercise science to rehabilitation psychology, um, kind of like occupational therapy realm. And then my last year at UW-Madison, I had a pre-nursing major. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that was my, I want to say sophomore year end of my sophomore year. And that is also when I discovered I was pregnant with my youngest child, Zoe. Um, so at the time, uh, my daughter's father was going to UW-Whitewater. We met at a college party. Um, in order for me to continue my studies, I knew that I would need more support. I was now living on my own, not with my parents, but um, I didn't think that I'd be able to focus on my studies and take care of two kids full-time. So I decided to transfer to Whitewater. And that's kind of how I got into social work um, because Whitewater does not have a nursing program. So as a pre-nursing major, um, I didn't quite have all of the credits to jump right into nursing. So I, I remember explicitly asking one of my entrance advisors at UW-Whitewater, what is a major I can take that's within the helping profession where I won't have to spend four more years in school. And so that's kind of how I stumbled upon social work. And do you think that was meant to be that you would switch out of nursing? Do you think it was it was a better fit for you to go into social work? I I do. You know, like I'm I'm only 33 now. Who knows what the rest of my career and life is going to hold for me? Um I always told myself I would go back and get that nursing degree. Um kind of as a, in an interesting twist of events, a, a homage or a honoring of my mother and really realizing the very things that I thought were why I didn't want to be like her are the very things that I admire. Um, you know, her nurturing, her tenacity, encouragement. And now that I'm a mom, I get it more. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, again, I believe that my personality and my purpose is to be part of the helping profession. Um, but where I am now in my career and, and my goals and aspirations, it definitely feels like that was a turning point in my studies and career. Yeah. So out of college, you have this, this social work uh, major and you have these two kids and you're mm -hmm. you're living on your own what was uh next what did you think you wanted to do next with with that degree or, or sure yeah. well it was helpful um social work even though it's very very broad um I zeroed in kind of the population that I wanted to serve I wanted to serve folks that looked like me so I decided um to pick a children, youth, and families study focus within social work. Um, my So in Whitewater, 
I, in all, most undergraduate social work studies, you have to take an internship along with classes to get your degree. And so my last year at Whitewater, I needed to pick an internship to finish my degree. And um, I had had a, a guest presenter in one of my social work classes that came to talk about the Title IV e-child welfare training program. And what that is, is it, it provides um, tuition, a stipend, and support for students who commit to um, going into the field of child protective services. And with that, our payback to the state was that we would go into child welfare positions, whether that was county um, or at the state level within the, within the state. So my last year at UW-Whitewater, I ended up interning at the um, Walworth, Walworth County of Human Services, Walworth County Department of Human Services, that's what it is. Um, and I, they are a smaller county than Dane, um, so their child welfare services were kind of all on the first floor. Um, it dealt with juvenile justice, so working with teens, kind of in the um, gyps and chips. Um, it's child and you child in need of protective services, juvenile in need of protective services. Sorry for the acronyms. Um, and so I was able to get a really comprehensive look at the entire field of child welfare. Um, it was extremely emotionally hard doing that work, um, but it was also rewarding. And so I felt confident after um, the end of that internship that I could be a child welfare practitioner. So, so I- what does that job entail or what does that work look like? Sure. So it's it's a lot. Um, so what most people know it as is child welfare workers um, work to investigate allegations of abuse and neglect of children. Um, so the, you have workers that go out and investigate those claims. Then you have workers who... Um, if the claims are substantiated or there's found that there was abuse or neglect that happens, they kind of carry on into the legal system. There's workers who work with families on either reuniting kids who have been taken out of their homes with parents or trying to find them permanent um, homes within the foster care system. Then you have foster care workers who license and provide support um, to the foster care homes that take in children um, who are part of the system. You have folks who are working with teens who are getting ready to age out of the system, work on vocational and educational goals. Um, let's see, you have the folks who are answering the calls to take reports of allegations. Um, then you've got youth workers who are working with some kids who not necessarily something happened in their home, but they were disruptive and needed to be removed. And so they have a whole different set of, of standards to apply to. So it's, it's a really big system. My part in it was I, I was an investigator. So I received the reports and went out to determine whether or not abuse and neglect happened. And you probably saw some tough situations and, and stuff out there in, in working in that position. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what was, were you going to go into child protective services or were you going to use your major somewhere else? Sure. Well, because of the Title IV E training um, scholarship that I got, I did have a payback. I didn't want to <laughs> go ahead and um, have to pay back my master's degree. 
So I went into the field. I, I searched for jobs in the south, south central Wisconsin area. So I applied at Rock County and Dane County and ended up working at Rock County in Janesville, based in Janesville, I should say. Um, I knew after I had worked in the field for at least a year and a half that that was not a um, career sustaining um, field for me personally. I appreciated the experience. I appreciated, you know, the growth and knowledge that I earned. Um, but I also had a lot of frustrations with kind of the in system inequities and injustices that I saw, um, you know, statewide. Uh, child welfare field is is no exemption. Um, it has racial disparities of higher proportions of children of color in, in foster care or have been removed from their natural homes. Um, and it's interesting, um, part of what I've been telling folks too in my campaign is that um, I got into the field of uh, social work, of helping professions to serve folks. That is my, has been my primary passion. Um, we have um, professionals in social work who have doctorate degrees and do research to inform kind of the studies or um, create textbooks. I didn't see myself as that social worker. I saw myself as doing the on the ground work, working with people. But it was interesting. Um, I started learning more and more about how the macro or the larger system, which is legislation and policy, impacted the micro system. So the direct working with folks. And it really piqued my interest in, oh, maybe I do want to do research. Maybe I do want to be involved in policy. Maybe I am intrigued by politics. So some of those questions started coming up, especially as, you know, me being a person, make it make sense. Um, and being someone who looked a lot like the folks that I was serving in my job. So what did you do with those questions and, and where did you go to answer those questions that you were having and, and sure. asking yourself? So fortunately, like a lot of young professionals, um, having a master's degree and in the field that I did, there was a lot of job opportunities. I spent some time um, doing different jobs within social work. What's also interesting is during this time, I was still working at um, the nursing home. So I was doing a little bit of both. And it led to autonomy of, hey, do I really, do I want to continue in social work? Should I get back into nursing? Um, so between uh, my child welfare experience and now, I spent some time doing community-based um not even social work, just kind of social services. I worked for the Nehemiah's, uh, oh man, they have a long name, I'm forgetting, Center for Urban... Alex G., I, yes. I interviewed him for, <laughs> for this podcast. Yes, yeah. forgive me, uh, Pastor G., for yeah. <laughs> not remembering the full name, but I worked at Nehemiah. Um, I also worked at Fountain of Life Church. Um, Nehemiah is basically the sister nonprofit organization of Fountain right. of Life. Um, I did some independent contracting work. Um, yeah, I kind of did a little bit of everything to kind of figure out what do I want to do next. Uh, another big question that had came up at that time was my mom, like I mentioned, um, she had been in Madison, but uh, decided to get into travel nursing. And so I was also debating, do I want to stay in Madison? So I was kind of looking outside of the state for other opportunities as well. And um you know, the uh, shelter case manager position at the YWCA became available. 
Um, I had knew a couple folks that worked there that encouraged me to apply. I applied and um, I got hired and that was about five and a half years ago and I'm still with the Y. Yeah, so what? What? how did you work your way up to, to becoming the housing director at, at the YWCA? And tell us about what what programs you're you're leading and and what you guys are doing at the YWCA with 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 housing sure yeah it's um i give a lot of credit to YWCA um specifically my friend and supervisor um and our ceo Vanessa McDowell um it was a very an, a, another pivotal moment in my career of do I stay in Madison? Do I stay in the social services field? Do I get back into nursing? And the the type of leader Vanessa is and the environment that she fostered at the at the YWCA, it really granted me autonomy to do some of that deep diving and processing about who I am and what my purpose is. Um, and support and encouragement alongside the way. So um, rebuilding my confidence that yes, you, you are supposed to be in the social services field. I had never worked in housing before, but I had obviously seen it intersectionally in, in child welfare and other social work realms. Um, and it was a very, very complex system to learn where I kind of doubted myself for a minute, like is housing really where I wanna be? Um, but again, that support and encouragement of my supervisor, of my colleagues, um, being able to take advantage of professional development opportunities that were offered. YWCA is a nationwide, globally actually, there's um, international chapters, but uh, a lot of support to kind of grow and grow into my leadership at that time too. Um, UW-Madison had been reaching out um, to other practitioners, specifically alumni, to offer internship opportunities to current social work students. And so about a year into working at, six months to a year into working at the Y, I became a supervisor of interns too. So along with my own um, professional development and learning, I was coaching and guiding future social work students. So that built my confidence and oh, like people look at me as a leader, like me, really? <laughs> um, you know, when I entered in the room and I, I spoke and gave my perspective about things, people really seemed to be interested in what I had to say and, and thought that I had great ideas. Um, support and encouragement of my colleagues is actually what ended up um, making or encouraging, pushing me to apply to for my first leadership position after being a shelter case manager. And then um, there was some staff transitions on our agency that allowed for a director to be, come back to the housing department. And it was that same encouragement from colleagues that um, said, hey, JL, you know, you should apply. And I had my doubts again there because, um, again, I, I love that direct service working directly with folks and making an impact. And now as a housing director, I'm still like, I'd say one to two um, knots a little removed from that. And so there's a little bit of hesitance there, but I've really, really grown um, to love what I do, to love the folks that I work with, the organization um, that I'm employed by, but also what we're doing in the community and how we're partnering with others to accomplish that as well. How has the, the 
the demographic of the issue of homelessness and lack of housing in Madison changed since you kind of came into that field and and changed during COVID especially too. Just tell us about kind of what what that issue looks like locally here in in Madison. Absolutely. Um, so in a plain and general sense, demographic, the numbers are going up. It's trending up and up and up. Um, we as a community have developed more collaboration and kind of clarity of processes and set intentions around priorities of how to work towards eliminating homelessness. So um, what I will say is I've seen the family side. Um, it's kind of split into two sides right now. There's we serve families and then we serve singles, whether that be a single male or single female. Um, the support of the family side has grown significantly within five years. The single side has grown as well, but definitely not at the same rate. Um, and I think, you know, there's several reasons. One of the things that I think is the most um, probably understanding is children didn't ask to be in these precarious situations or um, to be part of a vulnerable population. But, you know, um, oppression, marginalization, a lot of other societal impacts have a lot of societal issues have had impacts on families for generations. And so I think it's just easier for folks to think, oh, kids didn't ask for this. Let me give so that they have a better chance at a better future versus um, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of stereotypes around adults without children who are experiencing homelessness, whether that be um, alcohol and other drug use, mental illness, um, but, it, the, the scales are tilted. And that's what we see. Um, during COVID specifically, right now we, we, and when I say that, I mean human and homeless service providers. Um, there is in Dane County, there's what's called the HSC or the Homeless Services Consortium of Dane County. And basically that's just a big membership of folks who are doing either direct homeless prevention services um, and or services that coordinate and intersect with that. And so we as providers have set priorities and right now the need is so high that we can only prioritize folks who have no other option than to enter a shelter or perhaps um, be in, in the street or in camps um, in tents. There's a whole other population of folks who very much are also homeless, but right now, um, these circumstances behind their homelessness may not cause them to be prioritized. And um, you may have heard this term before of doubled, doubled up individuals and families. What that means is someone who I can go sleep on my grandma's couch, maybe two or three days. Um, my uncle has a garage that there's a cot out there. They do have spaces to go that are not their own, but they're not um, at a point where, hey, I have nowhere to go or I'm sleeping in my car. Um, and unfortunately, right now, with the need being so high of folks who are in shelters, who are in these camps and on the streets, we haven't even been able to prioritize those doubled up individuals and families. And so that's a main, that's been a, a big eye-opening thing that has happened during COVID as well of, hey, we, um, the county and city mobilized and created funds so that um, in addition to the shelters, 
homeless families, individuals who were out and needed shelter were able to get hotels paid by from the city and county. Um, but it also caused this, hey, what about this this other population? You know, I'm a school social worker and I'm working with a mom that has six kids and, you know, she can't get in the shelter every night. What does she do? She's deciding to sleep in her van because it's it's more safe there. Um, and we've just seen the 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 gap and the access to services of everyone who is in a precarious housing situation kind of increase even more, if that makes sense. Yeah. So talk about generational wealth and generational poverty and why that is such a contributing issue to to homelessness locally and, and nationwide. Sure. And yeah, How, what what can we do to fix that also? Yeah, well, I, the first thing for me would be the universal acknowledgement of housing being a human right. Um, a lot of times we hear, I had talked about stereotypes and stigmas earlier. Um, a lot of times there's questions about what happened. Um, why didn't individuals or families choose to take advantage of certain resources? Or why did they allow their aunt and her three kids to live with them, which caused them to get evicted? There's a, a, a lot of lack of understanding, a lot of lack of, lack of lived experience in those realms of decision-making. Um, capacities, especially in regards to how funding and services are provided. Um, <clears throat> but also, it, I haven't been part of the field very long, but some of my colleagues have been doing this decades or longer, and they have now served grandmas and moms and now the children of those mothers and just kind of seeing this this cycle of, yes, we can have shelter, we can have these programs, but Ideally, I should work myself out of a job. We should eradicate homelessness. We shouldn't have a need for shelters and homeless prevention services. Um, and generational poverty and <laughs> a lot of those isms factor racism, factors into the, the statistics that we're seeing and the disparities that we're seeing. And unfortunately, um, you know, unfair lending practices within communities of color um, not a lot of support around empowerment to own your own home, to own even perhaps multifamily properties. Um, I currently live in a duplex, you know, how, how can I be empowered to purchase this entire building, have one side to, you know, be where my family lives and the other side we rent out for income and to help another family. There's not a lot of, it, in Madison and in Nane County being such a resource rich, area and having so many nonprofits per capita, it's, you know, it's still baffling that we have the statistics and the disparities that we do. And I think you put the nail on the head of it. It's generational, you know, it's these root causes or it's the, it's the ice under the, the iceberg that we're seeing at the tip. It's, um, it's not homelessness. It, it's generational poverty. It's racism. It's classism. It's all the things. So what was your decision to run for city council? Sure. So <laughs> my career and my experiences um, led into that. But I think also going back a, a decade, my own lived experiences. So it's 
both a humbling and challenging place to be now someone who oversees and manages programs or services that I once was a recipient of. So I remember um, the embarrassing and shameful feeling of walking into the, the county buildings to renew my benefits, um, needing to provide all of this paperwork to prove, yes, indeed, I am <laughs> a low-income person and I very much am in need of these services and benefits. Um, missing deadlines as a young person juggling school with kids. And, you know, I remember sometimes my food share getting cut off because I forgot to submit something or I was a day late. Um, as a direct service practitioner myself, and then someone who is guiding and, and supervising direct service practitioners, hearing some of the heartstring stories about it doesn't make sense, but the system says, and that is why, you know, this family or this individual is in this situation. Um, so for me, I, I, over the last five years, I've definitely been challenging myself to grow in my professional skill and knowledge. And part of that has been um, taking leadership endeavors and trainings. So the first year that I was at the YWCA, um, I was part of the Leadership Greater Madison class. I think we're class of uh, 23. Um, so that was kind of a, a helpful jump into, even though I was a Madison resident, it was getting a comprehensive idea and understanding of all the services, all the different um, cultures and identities and being able to go and visit some of those places and, and get a hands-on experience in that. Um, most recently, I completed the New Leaders Council uh, leadership training, and that's specifically for young progressive um, individuals who are seeking a higher level of civic engagement, whether that be um, becoming elected officials, becoming folks that work to help um, individuals get elected into office, um, becoming entrepreneurs, opening up businesses, but all in the sense of progressivism or we need to change the way that we've been doing things. Um, so I, I honestly, my next step after graduating NLC was, hey, I'm gonna get involved in somebody's campaign. Maybe I can be a campaign manager, a strategist, part of a communications team. And then, um, you know, looking at my own neighborhood, realized that my alder was not reseeking election and um, reeling off some pretty traumatic experiences that I had as a social service provider dealing with uh, county funding, dealing with the common council, um, I decided, hey, you know, I, this wasn't really in my plan this year right now, but there's an opportunity and why not take it? What are some of the issues that you plan to bring to city council if you get elected? I mean, that you, you, you're passionate about? Sure. Well, obviously, my number one would be affordable housing um, and not just increasing the stock of affordable housing, but making action, taking actionable steps towards um, some of the policies and implications that lead to higher eviction rates. So re-looking at the landlord-tenant law right now, there was a lot of changes made within the last six, five to six years where these scales are tilted now in, in favor of property owners and landlords over tenants. Um, so absolutely uh, advocacy for tenants' rights and um, law that is going to be more supportive, especially considering the fact that we're in a, a global pandemic right now. Um, 
a lot of what I see my my job in that role is to of bringing the education and the knowledge and and demystifying and a lot of those stereotypes and stigmas about homelessness and and how it's caused. Um, one thing that I'm also passionate about is um, we can't continue to create pockets of poverty or neighborhoods of poverty. And so every Madisonian having access to live where they feel safe and providing means that it is affordable. And so what we're seeing with that is a lot of NIMBYism. So that breaks down the acronym of not in my backyard. And so a lot of education there, um, there's incentives when we provide affordable housing options and we diversify our neighborhoods in several different ways that benefits our community. Um, and so I do feel that eliminating some of those stigmas and stereotypes will help with that. Outside of that, um, you know, I, I will be honest, I am a newbie to the political scene. Um, I have not yet, and I don't know if I ever will take on the identity of a politician, but in that I feel a good leader and a strong leader has ideas about what needs to be done and some solutions, but is also a good listener and is open to adapting their ideas and solutions based on the needs of their neighbors and residents. And um, it's been extremely challenging given COVID-19 and social distancing practices, but I feel that a big part of my campaign is listening to what my neighbors and um, fellow residents feel that they need and mixing that or finding intersectional um, areas where, oh, hey, I'm really knowledgeable about that area, or I know someone that's really knowledgeable and let's build coalition to work towards it. Um, I know that we have a lot of uh, transportation issues, a lot of attention on those. Um, I know Mayor uh, Rhodes Conway has made some movement with the bus rap rapid transit system, but a lot of folks still don't understand what that means and how we can still enhance that, I think, uh, increased access to public transportation. Um, also to encourage folks who are, my, like myself, very privileged to have their own vehicles, um, increasing pathways that we um, do not have to rely on our vehicles and are able to help the environment by cutting down on those carbon emissions. So, you know, a rail, a railway, a train, um, looking at some of those access issues uh, another big thing that is going to intersect, I think, with every topic that comes before the council, not just um, looking towards a post-pandemic environment and how do we rebuild, but how the pandemic, again, opened, I think, everyone's eyes to the inequities, specifically racial inequities, specifically um, when it comes to police brutality and state sanctioned violence and who are the victims of those and bringing social and racial justice issues to every issue that comes up in front of the common council. Yeah. So talking about that, um, would you be in support of, of defunding the police here in Madison locally? So how I'll rework that is I am in support, especially as a social service provider, the police have an insurmountable burden on them to respond to every societal issue that we have. Um, within homelessness, per, for instance, I know myself and 
hundreds of other colleagues are ready to roll up our sleeves and provide some of those services that right now police are responding to. So I'm in support of reallocating some funding to, let's say, behavioral mental health systems. Um, to folks who have went to school, racked up a whole bunch of debt to do the work, like let's, let's allow us to do it. But in order to do that, we have to have sustainable and consistent funding. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so that, that about uh, wraps it up. Um, so is there anything else you want to say to the listeners before you? Um, what I will say is I know that there's a lot of interest um, to know more about me and my campaign. Um, you can definitely find out more about events, what's happening next, my platform, um, eventually some members of my team by visiting my website, which is www.curry for city council. And my name is spelled C-U-R-R-I-E, not curry like Steph. <laughs> a lot of people uh, put C-U-R-R-Y. Um, I also have a Facebook page. You can find me um, at the, the handle at Friends of JL. Um, and I know that there's future opportunities coming up within the community. The League of Women Voters will be publishing Know Your Candidate questionnaires. Um, there's been a lot of media coverage specifically around the local races this spring. Um, another way to contact me would be my email, which is jl, J-A-E-L, at curryforcitycouncil.com. For more information on JL Curry and her campaign, go to curryforcitycouncil.com or click the link in the description of this episode. The Madisonian Podcast is a production of Benjamin Brownie in association with We Are Productions. It's hosted by Ben Brown, cover art, editing, producing, and booking by Ben Brown. If you are a Madisonian and would like to be on the show, please email at ben at themadisonianpodcast.com to express interest. Please support us by buying our merch at teespring.com slash stores slash the Madisonian podcast or click the link in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please leave us a five-star review or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps a lot to work our way up in the algorithm and I appreciate reading all of your reviews and seeing those five-star ratings. Keep an eye out for next week's episode, and I apologize for the delay in this week's episode.